Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, hey, it's Owen Jones. Welcome to the podcast. Today, Paris Lees is someone I've known for a long time. She's a, a trailblazer in terms of a public trans figure. Um, really helped kind of... It became a visible, I suppose, figure long before others and helped pave the, fa- the foundations for others to follow. Um, and she's written this book, which is a brilliant must-read book, uh, How It Feels Like for a Girl. What It Feels Like for a Girl, sorry. Um, and... It's her memoirs growing up on a working class, uh, in a working class community on a council estate in Nottinghamshire. Um, and her life is extraordinary. I mean, she's gone through a lot, to say the least. So we talk about that, but also we talk about, I mean, Britain has got a big, big problem with transphobia, to say the least. And trans people have been on the receiving end of a full frontal attack. Facing the sort of attack lines gay people have, um, we we long suffered, and the same lines have been deployed against trans people. So we've got a lot to talk about. Do support us on patreon.com forward slash owngenes84 to keep the show on the road. You support our documentaries and all the work that we do, the brilliant team. And uh, please subs- subscribe. Um, give us five stars if you feel if you feel generous. With that, listen to me chatting to Paris. If you're watching on YouTube, please like and subscribe. What a treat we've got for everyone. We have the one, the only, Paris Lees, who is the author of the superb, I don't know what accent that was, the superb, what it feels like, there it is, what it feels like for a girl, which will now be spinning in her heads. It's a it's a sensational memoir, I would say. I can't remember. I actually wrote a book endorsement for it, but I can't remember what I said. But it is a sensational must read. It's it's full of so much honesty and it's so candid. It's moving. It'll, you know, it'll really grab you by the lapels. It's a brilliant, brilliant read. It's so insightful um, about the experience. I mean, I suppose the first thing I want to start, oh, hi, Paris, by the way. So it's just me. Hello. Oh, yeah. Hello, how's it? Nice to see you. Thank you for having me on and for the for the great introduction to the book. And can I just say it's great to be at this stage because you know that I've been writing this since like forever and a day. And it's like I know what I've been trying to do with this book. So to now over the past like few weeks, people are going, Oh, I like that about it, and this works. And it's like it's uh, it's just amazing. And I, I'm really grateful for all of the support. And it's lovely to speak to you as well. Like I, I feel like it's been a long time since we've been face to face. So this is this is a poor substitute, I feel, for being to give you a good old hug. It's a weak substitute. We will hug and probably get drunk at some point. In fact, I have Paris is currently in a flat where I have been drunk. So uh, but we'll do that. Oh, yeah. With... I broke my chair, by the way. Did I? Yeah, which you never replaced. That's really bad. I should replace that chair. I can't remember doing that, but I will replace it. It was a long time ago. I won't hold it. Already a, re- already a costly interview in my case. But to, to paraphrase Queen Elizabeth II, we will drink again. Um, 
So I want to start actually with something that I've noticed. I think you tweeted it. It was there. I didn't dream it. You said it somewhere that you don't want to be this to be seen per se as a kind of trans memoir, but obviously it's the memoir of someone who is trans. But that's not the same as here's a big guidebook to the life experience of trans people in general. So I just want yeah. to start with that. Well, I mean, you're gay, right? No. What? Uh, no. My parent, my mum, my mum's watching this. I haven't told her. I know, I know things about your own genes, and, and one of the things I know is you are gay. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm a massive homo. Would you describe Chaps as a gay book? Right. And obviously that's different because it's a polemic and this is a memoir. So obviously I can't write a book about my life. But I think the thing that I would compare it to, it's like, is David Cameron's memoir a man book? Or it, a book about a man who, yeah. like, pork? Yeah, well, okay, I don't want to get into that, but like, I really don't want to think about it, actually. <laughs> but like Michelle Obama's book, is, is, do people refer to that as a woman book? Exactly. Or a woman memoir. And of course it is both of those books. You know, David Cameron's book is necessarily about being a man, a particular man at a particular point in history. The same with Michelle Obama. You know, her book is necessarily the story of a woman of colour, you know, at a certain time and place. But it's just a very odd way to frame it for me. And I understand why people do it, because it's one of the few places that trans people have been allowed to have a voice traditionally is is the genre of memoir but i will say anybody wanting lots of juicy transition details are going to be really disappointed and actually one of the reviews that i got uh online somebody was saying i hesitate to praise a trans memoir for uh being really thin on trans stuff but she really doesn't go into it that much at all and it's like well actually that's because i never said it was a trans memoir you said it was that so um yeah it's for me it's it's that's like just one one little part of it really now let's just talk about your background so you grew up in nottingham tell me about your family tell me about your i want to hear about your dad and your mum to be fair both your mum and your dad and growing up on a council estate in the east midlands yeah, so, I mean, it's difficult because I have presented a version of my mum and dad in this in this book, which is based on my perception of them, you know, almost like 20 years ago. Um, and, you know, all teenagers sort of, you know, go through a phase where they, where they, where they say they hate their parents, right? Mm-hmm. I possibly had more reason to feel that way at that time. Um, and so this 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 book is a really difficult exploration of, of 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 what it meant to grow up in a town like that at that time, being who I was, you know, which is trans or, or you know just being coded as different um, or queer or puffter, you know, whatever people were calling me at that time, and then not really having the support of your family either. So you know, my my dad's a, a pretty strong. Uh, working class bloke, you know, used to work on the doors at the at the local the local pub. Um, you know, he's he's like a tough guy, and um, he just didn't get it, you know. And he wanted to toughen up his sort of firstborn son, you know. Um, that didn't go very well. Um, I mean, I am I am tough as old boots now, um, so maybe it did, but yeah, obviously it didn't didn't grow up to be what he thought I was going to be. My mum, you know, it's not her story. So, 
you know, it sort of focuses on this sort of really difficult time of my my uh, puberty. But she was very loving and affectionate and did a lot of good things and, and was a good mum to me in many ways. And, and, and my dad, you know, I, I see in retrospect now was 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 doing things that he felt were the, the right thing for me at that time. But I didn't feel supported by them, Owen, and I didn't not 100%, not unconditionally. And I didn't feel safe at school. I didn't feel safe walking around my hometown. And I didn't feel particularly safe going home sometimes as well, because my dad was a very intimidating man. Yeah, so we've got a plane. Sorry. Do you need to do that last one again? No, 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 not at all. No, no, just, I couldn't really hear yeah. And I should also I correct myself, because I said Nottingham, but it was Nottinghamshire, of course. Hop yeah, well, it's, yeah, same difference, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, I suppose, I mean... You know, I mean, I suppose the cliche we always have is, as LGBTQ people, it's very different, of course, being a cisgendered. For those who don't know what that means, it means uh, my gender identity uh, aligns with that assigned at birth. Um, you know, a cisgender gay person coming out is obviously a very different experience. But there is still this, there's some overlap in the sense of knowing you're different, I suppose, mm -hmm. isn't there? So tell me about that. Is it, Because that's what we always, when I think, what I think queer people have settled on when they talk about this is when did you know you're different because when you know you're gay or trans is often comes a lot after that doesn't it yeah well it's like with the whole um certain people you know saying that you know stonewall shouldn't be talking about trans stuff because it's just like two completely unrelated things i'm sorry it's not like you know you read this book and it's quite it's quite clear you know that I'm, I'm, I'm getting called a bender, I'm getting called a puffter, whether or not I, I was gay, you know, like I'm being homophobically bullied. And it's very upsetting to me that we know this is still happening today. I read a story this week about a 12 year old boy who uh, his family say he was a very sweet, sensitive um, little boy and he was being homophobically bullied and he was terrified of going back to school and he took his own life mm. at 12 years old. I don't. I don't want to live in that country, Owen. No. I don't, I don't want to live it. I have to believe that we can do better than this. You know, we, we are failing these kids. So, I'd love to say, you know, that these these experiences that I went through were unique to me. Uh, on a council estate, you know, in Nottinghamshire, uh, you know, at the, at the start of the millennium, but it's still happening today, and, and we're not hearing from from these kids. And that's the, the other point that I'd like to say is, you know, we we're hearing so much from people who say that they're being silenced. You know, all we seem to do is hear from people saying that they're being silenced in the national yeah. bloody media. And actually, the, the the people who are silent are the kid that's afraid to get on the 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 bus to school, the kid who's afraid to go home, the the, the kid who's afraid to say who they are and by definition they don't have power they don't have a platform they don't have a voice and I grew up feeling like I didn't have a voice well I've got a voice in 2021 and this book for me is the process of going back and handing a megaphone to that kid that needed a voice then and who desperately wanted to be seen and heard and and and, and wasn't now you know, It's a Sin was something which I suppose rarely for an LGBTQ drama managed to cut through to a broader, straight, cisgendered audience. And one of the things that really struck me about it was how LGBTQ people become a kind of substitute family who often pick up the pieces, to be honest, of the damage inflicted by the family, the, the biological families of LGBTQ people. So tell me about 
how you met your that di- and, and we're a complex family and we have all sorts of problems people should not obviously glamorize the huge problems within mm-hmm. lgbtq circles racism misogyny transphobia there's a lot actually to be honest but nonetheless an imperfect family tell tell me about how you you found you know finding that different family um and what impact that made on you well, I was just so desperate to escape. And I've said in the interviews, you know, that I've, I've realized writing this, that I was an escapologist because I would literally contort my body to get up through the cold grate and to, uh, my dad would sleep with his bedroom door open sometimes and and, and the stairs sort of creaked like a crypt door opening in, a, in an old horror movie. And so you had to know where to put your feet. And I was like a ballerina going down these stairs and I'd climb out of windows and over walls and, you know, anything really to get out. And, and I remember this is this, this is this is honestly like I used to take the bus into Nottingham on Tuesday nights because they they did a student night at a club that I used to go to a gay club called NG1 and I was at school right so I'm like 14 or something here and um I you know take like uh Basement Jax's Rooty album um on CD for God's sake Right. So this is like before uh, Spotify and everything. And, uh, and and they would play it. If you gave it to the guy behind the bar, they would they would play it on student night. And I would stay out all night and I'd just meet these amazing, interesting, glamorous, outrageous people. And of course, back in Hucknall, I was I was the puffer, I was the bender. Um, nobody would sit next to me, you know, at school. People didn't want to walk home with me. Um, I wasn't invited to parties. It was I was basically a leper, you know, I was I was it was that sort of social pariah uh status, I guess. No offense to uh, people with leprosy, actually. Um, but, you know, that that sense of, like, you are completely stigmatised and not part of the group. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then I went to these clubs, which I was way too young to be in, and people told me that I was cool, that I was interesting, mm-hmm. that I was attractive, that they wanted to hang around with me. So, of course, that's very intoxicating, and it's validating, you know. And um, I saw some people criticizing me uh, online the other day, you know, saying, oh, she's, you know, she's desperate for validation and attention seeking and all this kind of thing. And it's like, well, yeah, because everybody needs to feel good about themselves. And I literally grew up feeling like there was something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. So if people tell you that you're not good enough, that you are a pervert, that you are inferior to other people, that you are that you don't deserve to have the same sort of life or the same sort of respect afforded to other people, why would you not gravitate towards the spaces um, where people tell you that you do have value? And um, one of those spaces for me was, was night was nightclubs you know which you know that's what people did you know in 2001 you went out on a Friday night you went to a nightclub kind of thing so I think clubbing itself occupied a slightly different cultural space at that point and one of the others Owen was I I would get into cars and I would I would meet some very dodgy um older men uh and uh let them take advantage of me um and I, and I talk about that in the book as well, because I think it's really important we have that that conversation. Mm, and you do it so candidly and, and wonderfully. It's a very important thing to talk about. Um, mm. I mean, before I ask you a bit about that as well, um, you know, you're an extraordinary woman and you, you, you wanted from a very early age to be, for that extraordinary nature of yourself, to be, to be val- validated, I suppose, that one day you were going to be 
as you became so prophetic. Not every, lots of people have that ambition, but they don't, you know, become a trailblazer with lots of achievements under their belt at a young age. But tell me about your your ambitions, what you what you wanted to be, and wh- and maybe why. What do you think drove that? Well, I um, I, I have this joke that like, uh, you know, one day when I was at five or six, I just looked around me and said, oh God, I've been, I've been born in the proletariat. This is, this is not going to be fun for me. Um, and I was really precocious as a child. Like what's that baby in, um, in family guy? I was like, <laughs> I, I really was. And, and I can see now in retrospect that I was, I was a real pain in the ass you know, um, and, and my dad was saying, you know, you were just so clever from a young age and you used to point out inconsistencies and criticise us and everything. And, um, and uh, you know, joking aside, I did realise that, you know, being me in a town like that, I was I was very intelligent. And I just thought that my life would be easier if, if I was in a middle class uh, house, you know, where creativity and sensitivity was perhaps more celebrated, and and it was quite a violent and a tough a tough world, right? You know, my dad would go out, and you know, it was hard graft. You know, he was, um, you know, uh, working, you know, as as a builder and, and a roofer. You know, it's and 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 I and I understand my parents and and their lives in context now, in, in the sense that you know that they had to struggle, you know, and life is really difficult for people in, in those towns, you know, just, just putting food on the table and, and getting up in the morning, getting your kids to school without having this child that you just don't know what to do with. And and so I, w- I had all these fancies. I wanted to go to Oxford. I wanted to go to Cambridge. I just wanted to escape, you know, and I also had the I knew that I was smart enough to do it, if that makes sense. So I didn't want to be famous for famous fame's sake, but I did want to be in a space where it was all about safety for me. You know, I wanted to go and be with the people that were a bit more educated, a bit more sophisticated, a bit more cosmopolitan. And, um, you know, I, I just fantasised of being, uh, you know, S- Samantha and Carrie from, from Sex and the City. And that's basically, basically what I've, I've become. Um, but, uh, yeah, I just, I don't know. I just, the thing I always say as well is that I'm not, I'm not the only trans person from my hometown, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not, I'm not the only trans person who went to my school. And, but, and I'm not saying this to boast. It's just, it's the more interesting story to me. I am the only person that's been, has spoken at the Oxford Union and Question Time and has a book deal out with Penguin. And it's in a very middle-class world now. And, and I think we should talk about that and talk about the oppression that people from those, that keeps people in those communities in their place, you know, keep, keeps them down where they're supposed to be because uh, that, it, and I think when we talk about the trans thing, it, it, it obscures that transition. And, and for me, that's, that's, that's the real thing we should be talking about. Does that even make sense? I feel like I'm waffling a lot. You're not even waffling at all. I, it's funny you say that because I do waffle a lot. And I also do interview people who also waffle and you're not waffling. Good. Um, so you spent a bit of time in a young person's um, offenders institution, institution, young person's whatever, you know, a young person. It, it, it wasn't actually called Borstal at that point, but like, I love that film scum, although it's like really hard to watch in places, but I just think Borstal sounds cooler. Not that going to young offenders is cool, but well, it, it, makes me, it makes me sound tougher if you tell people, yeah, I went to yeah. Boston. 
Uh, yeah. Well, you know, I'm not a fan of uh, the justice system as it's currently set Me up. And, and what I was going to—I mean, the experience is generally obviously you get people stuck in a cycle of reoffending, and 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 they're not, you know, the the root causes aren't dealt with. But what I would say is, tell me about how you ended up there. But also, actually, there was—I suppose—the reason I gave that caveat is you did actually get some positive experiences out of it. If we're going to be honest, well, I did, but it was sort of in spite of the system, really, because and I, and I didn't really explore it in great detail in the book because. I had a very specific story that I wanted to tell, was which was this this quest to escape uh, Hucknall, really. And and you know, the book isn't a polemic, right? Um, I, I do think that it'd be quite hard to get to the end of it and not have some strong feelings about you know what I experienced and what 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 you might think we would want to change in society. But I just wanted to tell a good story. But there was this whole thing where I wanted to do education in. Uh, young offenders and they just they didn't come up with the goods and I was in there for like eight months so you tell me why couldn't I have done my A-levels when I was in there you know mm-hmm. um, and and so in in lieu of that I, I just sort of read everything because they did have a library and I read Oscar Wilde I read uh, Jane Austen Ian Fleming uh, and Train Spotting as well which is one of the one of the books that that really inspired this one because that just blew my mind um, and 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 so it, it did give me a time for pause and reflection. But the reason I wanted to talk about that is I just feel like, okay, so I committed a crime and that was wrong. And if you if you read the book, you you'll you, you'll have an understanding of how I got to that point of of being involved in, in a serious crime like that. And you know, I I I, I paid my dues. If if you know, if people want 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 me to be punished for what I did, well, I was okay. Um, but 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 that doesn't you know what do you do? Just throw. Sorry, let me start that again. What do you do? Just lock somebody up and then throw away the key and just then write them off and say, well, you're bad, you're bad, and you're just you're out of the game now. You know, and and people have done that to me when I was growing up, that I was seen as a delinquent, a problem child, a ne'er-do-well, you know, a hopeless case. And I'm not a hopeless case. I've got value to add to the people around me and to society. But so I'm very interested in how did I end up there? And it's not excusing the poor decisions that I've made, but we know that these kids who end up in young offenders there's often a history of abuse there's often poverty there's often uh, systemic inequality you know nottingham is one of the poorest uh well parts of nottingham are like the poorest areas of england and therefore europe you know because we know that i'm sure you know we're one of the most unequal societies um and 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 so you know that goes with a culture of crime, a culture of not feeling invested in the system, um, a culture of uh, poor mental health. Um, and so for me, it's not about excusing my behaviour. It's about trying to understand it, because do we actually want to reduce crime? And if we do, then we need to look at the reasons why people may be messing up, making mistakes and, and making those decisions that can can leave a, a, a mark against their name for the rest of their lives, you know. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. So tell us, you, you, you said about this kind of, I suppose, these sexual encounters with older men, which, which you, you just, well, you just mentioned. What, tell, tell, you know what, that is an experience which I know lots of young cisgendered 
gay men also went through. So it's quite a common thing amongst lots of LGBTQ people uh, at a certain age, often from smaller towns with a lack of a big LGBTQ support network, maybe. So just say what you, yeah, what do you think from looking back, what do you think kind of lay behind that and how you felt about it? Well, there's two things here in the sense that it is absolutely connected to the LGBT thing because we know that LGBT kids are highly vulnerable. Study after study around the world uh, confirms, you know, what to me is just as plain as day because I've lived it. You know, if, if, if you're being bullied at school, if you are being told by the people around you and the wider culture that you are a joke, that you are... Um, disgusting that you're less than other people um if you're getting if you're facing violence and stuff um well you're gonna feel rubbish right so if you're receiving all of those messages you're going to be vulnerable right and if predatory older men which sadly they are out there you know in in every section of society you know ready to take advantage of of vulnerable young people and 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 so in in that sense it's 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 it is an lgbt issue because we know that those kids are vulnerable but then you know i know girls in these towns you know who are being taken advantage of um in not quite the same way because they were meeting them in, in in different places but ultimately it's the same thing those men should have known better um and we see this again and again and it and it really upsets me and breaks my heart you know um when, when when these news sorry i'm speaking really funny it's difficult to talk about um can i can i can i start again on some bit sorry so am i gonna make a real pain for yeah you sure i mean yeah i mean normally we put it out as is but we'll, we can oh have it. okay oh shit it's right. like, don't worry no it's fine I'm we can just right, that. just just start from where you go it's, 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 right, honestly, right, it's very relaxed it's very casual sorry 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 it's just, and also i want to make sure that i'm saying it right because you know that people will jump jump on me if i word okay, it but um it's very traumatizing when you see these um, abuse scandals hit the news, you know, because it it sort of it sort of destroys your faith in in people and humanity. And you think, gosh, is this just what people do when they can get away with it? And I know it's not all men, and I really desperately want to believe, you know, that there were lots of good people out there. But it's enough for it to be a problem, you know, and and so one of the things that i'm 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 calling for is um an anti-bullying policy you know that's nationwide that protects all kids from gender-based bullying whether that's kids who are perceived to be trans who are perceived to be gay um or you know we know that girls are really facing a lot of sexual harassment at school now and and, and teachers are saying that they, they just don't know what what to do about it so you know, kids, I don't think we are doing the best by the kids in our society. I, th I think that I think that we need to make sure that everybody's safe and pr pr protected, you know, and, and I feel I feel very strongly about that. And I, and I also feel very disappointed because the conversations that I see, and perhaps it's because of who I am and my sort of my position, my public profile, I see a lot of talk about the potential danger that, that trans people pose to the rest of society. And I just don't think we're talking enough about the people who are who are really vulnerable, um, and 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 kind of coming together to work on a, a common solution, you know, which which I think is possible if if we target the real threat in in society, which is sadly, you know, 
one or two not one or two um you know there there is there is a number of you know predatory older men that that need to be kept an eye on absolutely absolutely am i waffling i feel like i'm waffling no no you're you're literally not waffling at all this is heavy stuff though right you know this this is really heavy stuff and they're difficult conversations to have and and it's scary having them and it's scary talking about these things that uh you know I've done and have happened to me, and we've got a plane again overhead. Can't hear it. Can, I genuinely can barely hear the plane. Perfect. What you said is is, is beautifully said. Honestly, it's beautifully said. Um, when you became, because you know you were the first trans columnist for Vogue. You, as you you know, you went on Question Time. Uh, it's quite an intimidating experience. First time you go on, as I can also testify. And um, you know, you became, you were there on in magazines, you writing, you were on TV. What, how, when that starts to happen, how did you feel? What, I don't know, given what your the background you describe and your hopes and maybe your fears when you were younger. How, what, what was it like when that all came start to happen? Um, I think you know. <laughs> At that time, th- there weren't really any trans people who were taken seriously in the in the public eye, which is which is kind of why I wanted to put myself out there because I always felt that I was I was good with words and um, you know that I I could be one of those people that appeared in the newspaper or that appeared on the news and you know I I I I I I, I say you know that I'm I, I'm not you basically I'm never going to write a book like you because you know you you love it don't you love all of the. Yeah. Clip- stuff and, oh, and that, i hate uh, writing but and i don't yeah yeah but no but you follow the westminster stuff and you and you like reading the books and everything and 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 to be honest with you if it hadn't have been for the fact that i was bullied and oppressed i don't think i'd have put myself in that space you know so i mean i've done question time three times now and um you know i, I tried to sort of uh you know hold my own and you know i, I did always say to them before I went on, you know, I'm not a political pundit, but I can give a young working class perspective, my perspective, you know, and a a slightly different perspective. So, um, you know, it's weird because then I got into a really newsy space because having done that, then I got invited onto Newsnight and all of of these things. And, And really, I don't know how much I've got to say really about politics. My message has always been anti-bullying and just trying to call for people to be a little bit kinder you know and and just approach you know trans people with with a little bit more kindness and compassion and and understanding which in our society is seen to be this 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 political thing and um and i felt a huge pressure to be honest because because there just wasn't they're literally in 2013 they're just weren't trans people appearing on the news commenting on stuff Mm. you know appearing on the covers of magazines uh having books out winning awards doing all the stuff that we are doing now and you know thank god you know that that people are able to have their voices heard now and we've got a, a range of different people getting their voices heard because you know i i felt this huge pressure particularly when i went on question time it was like I've got to represent a whole community. Well, I can't do that, you know, and I'm, I'm not perfect either. So you can't make me into a role model because I don't want that pressure either. And I'm not perfect and I'm not a role model, you know. So, um, you know, there are other people who, who are more appropriate to fill, fill, fill that role. 
and and it was just depressing because you'd 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 get all of these people making sort of really mean horrible comments about trans people in the media and it was like there was nobody to sort of respond to them so in many ways it does feel like it's worse now but at least when people are seeing these really nasty things that people are putting out there they can think but that doesn't match up with what i think of um you know, uh, Laverne Cox or, um, you know, oh, I, I really loved Juno Dawson's books growing up. Uh, or, you know, I, I liked what Paris said about Brexit on, on, on Question Time. And so they've at least got some sort of points of reference where they can say maybe this hateful image that's being portrayed is not, is not quite as, as, as black and white as it's being presented to us. And Abigail Thorne as well, who I know that you spoke to recently, you know, she just does fantastic video essays, like, and people follow her because she's really good at communicating philosophy to people in a way that's uh, lively and engaging and, 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 and readily understood. And, and I think actually that is the real sort of uh, the work that, that, that needs to be done is for people to see us as, as human beings with, with, with value rather than the, the, the politi political argument side of things. Because they'll always find a way to justify their, their bigotry. You know, I don't, don't think you can win that argument through, through politics personally. Yeah, I mean, you know, history will certainly record you as a, as a trailblazer. And, you know, when I speak to some of the trans people you're speaking about whose platforms came after you or who came out after you. Um, they talk about you in, in those terms, you know, that, that, you know, you, you were the first big kind of trans person media in the media world. But I suppose what I'm, I was going to ask is what you mentioned there, which is, you know, transphobia is not a British specific problem, but there is quite a specific manifestation of it here in that in the United States, generally speaking, transphobia is associated with the Republican right, whilst if you look at the Democrats, progressives, whether they're people who call themselves centrists or liberals or socialists, um, feminists certainly, there's a consensus which is inclusive of trans people. That's just not true in Britain. In Britain, of course, the anti-trans, and it does behave like a cult, they you know, are very strong, not just on the right, but within the so-called liberal press, and also not just among so-called liberals and centrists, but some people who are, who are left-wing are some are actually the worst offenders. And I suppose what I'm wondering is, what, before talk, asking about the general kind of, you know, what transphobia in this country, and I know that's a well-rehearsed discussion, but what about the impact on you? Because you were, you remain one of the few visible trans people in public life, mm. but for a long time you were pretty much the only one. And as a result, you know, that bile and hatred gets targeted at, at, at you. Of course it does. Uh, I mean, all trans people experience transphobia, but, you know, in their communities and so on. But this was, you know, you as, as a target. What impact does that have? When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It's just really depressing. I mean, I did Woman's Hour today. And um, I opened up about being abused, bullied, um, beaten up as a child. Um, And then you look at the comments in response to that and they're calling me a man. They're calling me a gay man. They're implying that I'm a pervert. They're saying they're disgusted that that Woman's Hour had me on. that it's man's hour, that it's grooming hour. And I, I, I can't get my head around it. I, I, I just cannot understand the level of just hatred and vitriol. And it's interesting where it comes from, you know, because Rennie Adolodge in her book, um, why I'm no longer talking to white people about race. Details in the chapter on feminism really, really well and really, you know, lays it out very, very calmly. The hostility that she encountered in the British media and within sort of feminist circles, well, they were feminist circles. I don't know why I'm doing quote unquote. Um, When she was trying to put forward as a young black woman, an anti-racist perspective, and I faced hostility from exactly the same sort of people. And in some cases, I mean, literally exactly the same people. And it's just, it's just depressing. It's really, 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 really depressing. And it makes you feel, it makes you feel like you're not welcome. It makes you feel like, I mean, the thing that I can't get over is like, in this country, there, there is a, a movement to say that we absolutely, it's really, really, really important to us that we get to tell you that you're not a real woman, you're a man. You can't have children. Ha ha. And I'm like, seriously, like, is, is that where we're at in 2021? Just the, the lack of humanity, the lack of compassion, the lack of decency. Mm. I'm embarrassed to live in a country where this is taken seriously. I'm embarrassed to live in a country where it seemed to be a political debate that you can be rude to people at work, you know, and they say, well, we're just claiming, you know, it's just, it's it's biology, it's a fact, you know, you can't have children. And it's like, well, lots of people can't, but why Why do you go, it, it's just a very odd thing that it's it seemed to be legitimate to, to essentially be, cruel and to be rude i mean we're supposed to pride ourselves on being you know manners you know we're, we're, we're so overly polite well i don't see that when i look at the, when i look at the public discourse i see people behaving just disgustingly to, to other human beings and it's and it's depressing and i think that you know with 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 the states you know they've got their own problems and i think if 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 
if you are marginalized and you don't have access to healthcare, you know, you're facing a whole different set of issues. Although honestly, access to healthcare in this country is not, not, not ideal. But I do think that at least within sort of mainstream liberal spaces, you know, they are they have at least a basic understanding of, of why intersectionality is important um again i'm not saying it's perfect because clearly it's not but here i do think a lot of it comes down to class there's a certain type of person and frankly owen they don't really like working class women and they don't like black women and no. they don't they don't like trans women or you know anybody who, who's not their sort of fancy fancy sort of um posh posh waitress feminism you know when i interviewed uh judith butler I'm gonna, get loads of crap well if so you know there's this uh quote i sometimes refer to the hugh gateskill was labor leader in the 50s and um at a labor conference once his wife turned to him and said that the, ro- the wrong people are clapping and i always think to myself as long as the right people clap and the right people boo that's fine if you yeah. get crap for this you're getting crap off of terrible people, they're bigots, um, they're people, including in very powerful, influential position, who use their power and influence in order to marginalise voices who are systematically marginalised, and they themselves are often there, not on the basis of their ability, not on the basis of their talent, because they had all the odds stacked in their favour from birth. They are they are dripping with privilege, and they are there, and they know it, and that's what's even worse, Paris. You know what? That's what's even worse. That's why you wind them up even more. Because you are a working class trans woman from a council estate in Nottinghamshire. And these are people who've been spoon fed with privilege from the day they were born. And they're not as talented as you. And your very existence is a constant reminder of their own privilege. So anyway, Thank if you get crap for it. I, I, I agree. I, I, I agree. I think there's a lot of um, very bitter bitter people out there and it's just it's just sad because and it's and it's like with the hatred that you see online it just makes me think you're not happy to do why would you abuse somebody and bully somebody if your life was full and meaningful and you felt good about yourself and i genuinely 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 i'm not religious but i pray for those people and hope that they reach a better place and 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 some inner peace and 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 just some basic humanity really i mean maybe if I'm obviously not as nice a person as you because I I hope they also find that peace but and that humanity, but maybe out of positions of power and influence and let some of the people take their place who don't have a history of bigotry and trying to marginalise people who have huge odds stacked against them from birth uh, as they try and promote their own who are privileged people with huge bigotry. But, you know, you're more forgiving than me. Um, I mean, on that more general point, you know, and I don't, you know, but... I mean, I, I spoke about, you know, I've had lots of trans people on this podcast and, or, and channel and we, you know, obviously inevitably the conversation does talk about this a bit, but, you know, I speak privately, lots of trans people tell me, to be honest, Aaron, I want to leave this country. There's actually one trans person who's had asylum accepted in New Zealand, uh, a British trans woman because of the level of uh, transphobia here being whipped up. I mean, it is, I mean, you know, it's, it is a, you know, and I'm, I'm so... I feel <laughs> Go on. I, I feel that yeah i don't i don't i mean the message that i'm getting is that i'm not welcome in this country which is just, just an affront you know that, that i mean that's that's how i feel it's like okay if, if we've decided in this country that 
we're, we're saying it's okay to basically bully and be rude to people like me. Why would you want to, why would you want to stick around? You know? So yeah, I've, I've thought a lot about leaving. Yeah. Do you ever think to yourself though? And I'm really privileged as well. This is the other thing. So if I'm feeling like that, you know, and I have to own that I'm one of, you know, the most privileged tons of people in the country, probably in, in, in some ways, you know, and, and it gets me down. So, you know, if, 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 if you are living on a council estate, maybe you're getting abuse, abused, you're getting, you know, dog crap put through your letterbox, your family don't speak to you. Um, maybe you're not happy with how you look. Maybe you're being discriminated against in the workplace. And then you turn on the television or you open the newspaper and you see people calling you, you know, ridiculing the appearance of trans people, saying that we're, we're this great problem, that the idea that, you know, some of these people that are campaigning against um, my existence would, 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 would have me sort of like carry a sort of uh, identity card around and be forced to use separate toilets or something or or the men's I mean I'm just not going to do that no. you know so if it does get worse I will go you know and I feel awful because I know that maybe not everybody's in a position to do that but I mean have you got any have you got any better I mean I'm, I'm literally all out of ideas you know I've 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 spent the past decade doing two things trying to change myself and make myself more acceptable to sort of society and to sort of to blend in and to and, and to look quote unquote like a like a real girl quote unquote and I, I know that that's problematic because you know i want to live in a country where everybody feels safe to walk down the street no matter what their gender expression but also i personally would like to try and escape that discrimination so that's one way of trying to achieve that because you know when i didn't blend in shall we say i would get abused so if you get abused when when people perceive you as trans, it's quite logical that you would want to try and take steps to not look like you're trans to escape that oppression, right? But then on the other hand, I've been like, okay, well, that's fine if I can, you know, look how I want to look and walk down the street. But also it should be okay for everybody to walk down the street. So I've tried my best to try and change society, but I can't. There's only so much that, 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 that you can do, and we are less than 1% of the population. So there are lots of great people working towards that, that goal now, but it does feel like it's getting worse in lots of ways. So there does come a point where you just think, well, maybe I just have to go and, and go to a country where this, this moral panic hasn't taken hold. I, you know, I think lots of people who aren't trans don't realise that things they don't even think about become these big burdens and fears like using a public toilet you know for lots of yeah yeah and I never felt that before I never felt you know because touch wood you know I, I feel that I do I do blend in and, and generally I, I would think that people perceive me as, as as female when I'm I'm out and about and, and and that is a privilege it shouldn't be a privilege but it is it just makes my life easier and that's a fact um, and obviously now that I've got a public profile and and all of this heat in this discussion I felt very uncomfortable, you know, after years of using public toilets and, and not causing anybody any problems and not having any issues in, 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 in that way, I feel really paranoid now that somebody might confront me and also paranoid that they may be paranoid and that my presence there is going to upset them because who wants to feel like that, that you're, that, 
somebody's going to look at you and think, I know her, she's trans or, you know, she's really tall. Could she be one of those trans ones? And for them to then feel uncomfortable or afraid because of what they've read about people like you in the newspaper and the threat that you pose, it's just horrible, Owen. It's really, it, it really is just, it just really depresses me. It just makes me sad. It, it makes me really, 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 really sad. I, I don't know what else to say about it. I mean, it's actually also for, um, led to cisgendered lesbians who are butch being challenged and uh, right. people trying to remove them from women's toilets. That's that's where this is led to. Yeah. Just so we, I'm going to try and end on an optimistic note. And I know yeah. that sounds hard, but the reason I'm going to put this to you, that often when a minority starts getting more visibility and more wider acceptance, there is a backlash. And that doesn't make the backlash any easier. I mean, if we take, for example, the struggle for gay rights, in this country, you got the partial decriminalization of homosexuality in 1967. It was partial, and actually, more gay men were criminalized afterwards, after that, than than before it, um, because they started using other laws to do it. In, in Scotland, it was only partially decriminalized in 1980, um, and then as as you got growing acceptance. Um, you got full-blown moral panics whipped up by the media, which was then used to justify Section 28, which was the first homophobic legislation passed for three centuries, I think, in 1987, which banned the so-called promotion of homosexuality in uh, the public sector, not least of all schools. So people like us, we didn't get LGBTQ education growing up. But I suppose if I was going to be trying to be hopeful, and this is just me putting it to you because it's not my place, but... If we look at um, many of the the fury and the bile from, I would say, completely obsessed, radicalized transphobes, if you look through their Twitter profiles, they're not talking about, I don't know, the mere slight issue of the biggest global emergency since the war. They're not talking about the existential threat of the climate emergency. They're not talking about poverty. They're not talking about justice. They're not talking about, I don't know, uh, the 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 closure of, of of refuges for women they're not talking about the fact that 86 percent of cuts have fallen on women they're just talking about trans people and you can just see it they've obviously gone online and this is how all cults operate yeah. they go online often quite vulnerable people and they go through these yeah. rabbit holes and they just get more and more and more extreme and and you can see it happening in real time sometimes on people's twitter profiles but yeah. actually if you look at the polling who is the most supportive of trans people, it's cisgendered women by actually a very big margin, according to every single poll. And yeah. younger people, and there is a generational battle going on because it doesn't fit exactly. My mum, bless her, who's coming to stay with me this weekend, 69 years old, spends a lot of time on Facebook arguing against anti-trans extremists. And there, there are young people, unfortunately, who also are anti-trans cultists. But generally speaking, younger people are far more accepting. And it's a problem, according to the polling, with older men, most of all. But does that not give some hope that actually the experience of gay rights does show that as things started to improve, there was a backlash, which was dreadful to go through, dreadful to go through and combined with the AIDS crisis as well. But actually that things are likely to change because younger people and women actually are going to make it happen, as well as trans people who obviously are at the forefront and whose voices must be heard above all else. Well, I'm I'm hoping that Gen Z will save us. I know that they think that we're a bit naff because we use emojis, but um, they 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 are much more uh, accepting because they just 
they've grown up in a different world you know just like you know like when we were growing up like you know when I was a kid like Graham Norton was on the television so I just grew up in a world where it was normal for gay people to be on television but when my mum was growing up that wasn't normal of course it was full of gay people but they didn't talk about the fact that they were gay and you look at it now and you think how did people not know that they were gay you know but but things did change and um I think the reason I wrote this book was because I wanted to tell a good story right and and it's you not succeeded and, it, and it's not and it's not a, it's not a polemical it's 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 not but also I just for me I'm just so sick of like being stuck in in, in the sort of the 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 arguing about you know what what it means and what it you know uh, you know the definition of woman and all this kind of thing and because it all just seems to me to be so completely devoid of context right and 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 and, and this is this this is this is the context you know this isn't an ideological argument it's that is what my life was that is that is the reality and I and I really hope that people reading it will connect with something that I feel that is missing from the conversation publicly, which is empathy. And, and, and what better way to encourage people to sort of empathise with a human being than, than through sharing your story and through literature, right? But, but in terms of the, you know, are things getting better? Well, yes. And, and this is the thing. It's like none of the, a lot of this stuff is like not that new, really, because people were still being really unpleasant, like 10, 15 years ago, you know, the, the thing that sort of made me want to become, you know, a campaigner or somebody who was cha changing things, although I wouldn't feel that that word particularly applies to me in 2021, was seeing, you know, a piece at Jermaine Guerrero in which she refers to uh, trans people as these ghastly parodies of women. And and it just went, you know, it nobody commented on it. So I don't think that that's got any worse. I think it's the fact that we are noticing it now and actually more and more people are realizing, oh, that's actually really unpleasant. Who are you referring to there? Because my my friend's uh, child feels that way and that's mm -hmm. not very mm -hmm. nice to, mm -hmm. to say that. So I do think it's progress, but I said this a long time. I think I sort of said it the first time that I met you possibly, because I met you at the, um, so we met at the uh, student, we, uh, Amnesty Pride thing. Oh yeah, I think we did. Was that, the first, was that the first time we ever met? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, which was oh. which was a while ago now, right? But uh, you know, I, I've said for a while that for me, it's not about whether or not we'll have trans rights. It's about are we going to have human rights? Full stop. Right? You know, are we going to? Because for me, if we live in a society that claims at least to value decency and rule of law and truth and honesty and science and you know just being a decent human being and being civilized essentially then of course we will have rights for trans people and trans people will, will, will be able to live their lives i don't think people realize that it's all on the table you know is it going to be nice to be a person you know, and you talked about climate change and I, I talk about this, you know, as a trans person that terrifies me because nobody's going to respect your pronouns when they're trampling on your neck to get the last bottle of water, you know, in, in on the supermarket uh, shelf, you know, because the food supply has been disrupted, which sounds like a really dramatic thing to say, but this is what we're looking at, you know. Well, 
it, it, all it takes is a drought or a flood, you know, the food supply, you know, we, we do have problems with access to water moving forward. We're not talking about any of this stuff and who's going to get it in the neck first. You know, it's, it's, it's minorities, I think. But I think that there are enough people who are invested in making sure that there is a society that's pleasant to live in for everybody. You know, I, I really believe that most people are good and, 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 you know, I, I, my experiences in my personal life, the people that I work with, um, the families of the, the men that I date, my own family, people that I meet in shops, you know, most people are kind and good and just want to live in peace. But I think that we've got some people who are troublemakers that are wh whipping things up and, and, and really stirring up some trouble. But I ultimately believe that human beings want to be peaceful and live together you know, in, in, in peace. And I have to believe that I have to believe it for me and I have to believe it for the kids in my family and for all of us. So I hope that we're right about that, Owen. I really do. Indeed. And what always sets them off the anti-trans brigade is when you say they're on the wrong side of history, but they are on the wrong side of history and history will be damning. Paris, that was beautiful. That was wonderful. I think a really nice place to end it. Everyone must go and get themselves a copy of this memoir. It really is a beautiful piece of writing. It's a mo it's a real, real roller coaster of emotions. Um, and as 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 Paris says, it's not a trans memoir. It is the memoir of an extraordinary person and their extraordinary life. And there's it's, you'll laugh at it, you'll cry, uh, you'll you'll you really will love it as a brilliant piece of writing that's so insightful in in so many ways. So we're very lucky to have had you and do get a copy of what it feels like for a girl by the wonderful Paris Leeds. Thank you so much, Paris. Thank you so much for having me. And um, and also, I don't know if we're still rolling now, but um, thank you for just being one of the first people to sort of get it really, you know? Well, I had to learn and it was people like yourself who taught me and that's what this should always be about, you know? I, I had a lot of internalized homophobia, let alone anything else. And actually, you know, for me, people like you having the platform, having a platform and, you know, so thank you for being, thank you for educating me. You know, I got taught by people like, like yourself about this issue. I didn't, you know, no one's born understanding all these things. No one's born understanding gay people. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we have to learn that I had a great, I had a great teacher. So thank you for being one of those teachers. And I hope people listening to your wonderful words today, if they're not sure about these issues, if, you know, rather that, or maybe if they've ended up going through these rabbit holes online, which end up radicalizing people and with all the same lines that were thrown against gay people, biology is destiny, uh, uh, that, you know, gay people are sexual predators, gay people prey on children, gay people are a fetish, gay people are just, it's a mental illness. Same thing's been used against trans people. I hope if they've got as far as clicking on this video or this podcast, they'll go and educate themselves even more because lots of people have and they've turned away from this bigotry and people like you are the reason why. So thank you, Paris. Well, listen, let's go for a drink at some point. And um, I know you're not allowed to drink champagne, but I'll order oh. some of you. You can, have, you can have a sip of mine. I'll, I'll, I'll have several gulps of your champagne. Uh, I can't wait till we get smashed. Lots of love, Paris. Oh. Thanks for listening, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, do support us on patreon.com forward slash owenjones84. Help us decide who we talk to, what we talk about, the documentaries we do. 
uh, and also on the support function, uh, which you can see in the description. And leave us five stars and a review. It just helps other people listen. Uh, And with that, thank you so much. Speak soon. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.